You're listening to the Women in Western podcast with your host, Cheyenne Draves. This is a lifestyle podcast where we discuss everything from faith to family, business and fitness with an emphasis on the glam and grit of women in the Western lifestyle community. Grab a coffee and go for a walk or a drive. Let's chat and inspire each other to be the best version of ourselves. Hello, ladies. Welcome back to another episode of the Women in Western podcast. Happy September. I don't know about you guys, but my fall decor is out. My fall candles are lit and pumpkin spice lattes are to be had. (laughs) I know it's probably still like 100 degrees where everyone is. It is here as well, but fall is my absolute favorite season. So September 1 always means pumpkins, fall decor, all the things. And I'm so excited for some cooler weather. So excited for this season. Fall is my absolute favorite season. That being said, I'm going to go ahead and get into my highlight of the week. So this week we actually had some travel. Um, my well, my husband's side of the family had a wedding in Montana. A lot of Josh's family lives up in Livingston, Bozeman area. So we drove up last week. Um, with a baby, it's really hard to do <laughs> the travel. So especially driving, it's about a nine, 10 hour drive. So we decided to leave um, around like 11 p.m. midnight on, I think it was like in the middle of the night, Tuesday. Yeah, it was Tuesday night. Um, We got up and headed out and kind of drove through the night, or I should say my husband drove and I slept with Josephine. (laughs) And then we got there in the morning and spent a few days in Montana. It was absolutely perfect. We love Montana. We love the Livingston area and it's just like our happy place. We love going and being with our family there. Um, And not to mention, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, I stayed until, well, I was due to stay until Tuesday. Um, so for about a week, my husband, he left Saturday, the day after the wedding, um, to go hunting, um, with his dad. And so he drove straight from Montana to Idaho and my flight was originally booked for Tuesday to come home. Um, but schedules were kind of wonky. All of my family that was going to be there was like leaving or they all had to go back to work. So I was like, nah, no point in me staying. I wish I could have, but Um, I booked my flight, uh, rebooked it for Sunday and came home Sunday and I already miss Montana. I love Montana and we just had a really good trip. It was amazing. I'm excited to see all of that family again though in about a month and a half for another wedding because it's like the year of weddings. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like since COVID is like finally calmed down, um, everyone scheduled their weddings for this year. So our family has had so many weddings to go to. Me and Josh have been to at least like five, I think four or five, and then we still have a couple more to go. So with that being said, um, that was our highlight of the week was this weekend in Montana. Josh is still in Idaho. So just waiting for him to get an elk with his dad and head home. And then September is just going to be crazy around the Draves household. So stay tuned for all of the stuff that we are getting into. Now for the episode, I am so excited for this episode, guys. So recently I put up a question box of um, suggestions of anyone that you guys as listeners would want to hear from. Um, any, you know, um, Western influencers, Western community people that you guys would want to hear from. And one suggestion that we got was for Kate's cause. Her name is Kate Weber. I had never heard of her before. 
So I got this suggestion. I followed her on Instagram and um, kind of like looked at her page a little bit and reached out and said, hey, one of, you know, I, I don't know if you'd be interested in coming on a podcast, but one of our listeners reached out and she would like you to, um, you know, she she recommended you come on the podcast. And I looked into Kate Weber and kind of like what she had going on. And her website is katescause.org. And I had seen on her Instagram that there was a bunch of logos. Um, her logo is um, a, a bald woman and a horse. And I was like, huh, like that's kind of interesting. And I got into her story and I was just blown away about this woman's story and um, now the nonprofit that she runs to help women going through um, certain things like her. And let me just tell you, she is a phenomenal woman who uh, was diagnosed with cancer at a very young age. And um, she was faced with the reality of needing to preserve her fertility at such a young age before she even was, you know, ready to start a family, but that was something she had to think about so early and she was fortunate enough to have that opportunity. However, you know, she was really impacted by a lot of women who don't get that same opportunity. And so now her mission is to help women who are diagnosed with cancer that are going to lose some reproductive organs and help them, um, you know, preserve, um, their eggs and freeze their eggs. And when I tell you that I was so moved by the story, guys, I, cannot wait to help further um, support her organization and support her um, raising awareness for this issue that I didn't even know was an issue. And, you know, when I was got to talking to Kate, I told her, I was like, I didn't even think about it. But if I was diagnosed at cancer at that age, I would have not been able to afford to do that. So um, I'm just so excited for you guys to hear her story. I think this is one of the most impactful interviews that I have done to date. And I cannot wait for her to get her story out there and continue to spread awareness um, about oncofertility, which is amazing. So without further ado, let's get right on into the episode with Kate Weber. All right, everybody, we are here with Kate Weber. Kate, I am so excited for this interview. And I want to start out with you giving us an introduction. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Where are you from? Where do you live now? What do you do for a living? All right. So um, I grew up in a really small town in Southeast Texas called Coots. Um, I moved up to, I guess you'd say, Central North Texas a couple years ago. Um, it was supposed to be a temporary thing, but I fell in love with it. So here I am now still. Um, I am working on becoming a licensed auctioneer. Um, I've been working for another auctioneer, um, learning all the ropes of that, and it's been really cool. Um, been to the class, so I should be taking that exam soon. Um, I also just started as a first-year ag teacher. Wow. Auctioneer. How did you get into that, if you don't mind me asking? Because I've never met someone that does that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, um, it started with my interest in starting my nonprofit. Um, I wanted to, I mean, you can learn so much from the auctioneers and the business of auctioneering um, on how to raise money. Um, so regardless of if I will be the auctioneer, um, I still un I have a different understanding of it just from being on that side of it as well. That's awesome. Um, so how did you become involved in the Western industry? Did you grow up doing it? Um, what role do like horses and rodeo play in your life? So um, when I was really small, we moved from Houston up to Illinois. Um, and then when I was in the fourth grade, we moved back to Texas. My parents bought a little piece of property. Um, we got some goats, we got some rabbits and loved that, but, you know, had always just really loved horses. So my parents put me in um, riding lessons and that just grew 
for me. Um, I got my first horse. Um, I met some really great people who are barrel racers in the rodeo industry, and they really just kind of took me under their wing and helped me, um, taught me everything. And it just grew um, because of them. I mean, I ended up having a pretty successful high school um, rodeo career, um, ended up going to um, and getting a scholarship in college and I've even done some amateur rodeos. Um, and now I just, you know, I do it for fun. I have a younger horse I'm working with now that healthy again and, um, looking forward to getting back into it really. How fun. Um, so I absolutely love that. So tell us a little bit about, um, the event that changed your life and kind of sparked this story that we're going to talk about. Um, like the diagnosis you received, you're only 25 years old. I'm very excited to hear this story because just reading a little bit about it has given me so much like inspiration and it's been insane. So I can't wait to hear about it. So when I was 25 years old, um, you know, just going to my routine appointments, they found a polyp, um, you know, they took that, um, just ran some tests, nothing really came of it. Um, and I was still having a little bit of issues. So they're like, let's do an ultrasound. Found- and a polyp, sorry to cut you off, but what is that? Cause I am clueless when it comes to this kind of stuff. So you it's said routine like exam skin tag that can grow, but like within your organs. Oh. Um, so it's like I said, just a little harmless thing. Um, so they found one, um, didn't think much of it, decided to do an ultrasound, um, found a whole lot more and still not concerned about it. Cause it's something that you can live with your entire life and never really, well, I was having a little bit of issues because of that. So I decided to have them removed, which was, it was my choice whether I wanted to or not. Um, I did. And thankfully I did because they found out that it was, um, actually cancerous, um, so I, my official diagnosis was embryonal rhabdomyosarcoma um, of the cervix and uterus. And um, again, just thankful that I just made that decision to do that because had I not, they wouldn't have discovered that that was, that was indeed what it was. Right. Because um, were you feeling like sick at all or off in any way? Not at all. Um, like I said, very minor issues were coming from it, but I was like, you know, let's just take care of it. It wasn't a big deal. Um, a pretty simple procedure. Um, so I just wanted to go ahead and have that done, but I didn't feel sick at all. Um, and it's actually a childhood cancer. So whenever I got that diagnosis, again, I was only 25 years old, but they, um, they're like, you're pretty old to have this type of cancer. Um, and people who have this type of cancer, that's not the location that they usually get it. Um, so it was just a really scary um, whirlwind. I remember the day that they called me back into the office. Um, they told me to bring somebody with me right off the bat, you know, that that's alarming. Um, so I called my mom, bless her heart. I'm like at work having a nervous breakdown because they're telling me to bring somebody with me to this appointment after hours of their facility that usually closes by this time. Right. So and just- what does life look like right now for you? Like, are you in school? Are you like, you know, dating single? Are you rodeoing? Like what's life look like at this current moment right before you go to this appointment? Um, I had just somewhat recently started a job at a law firm, um, really enjoyed it there. Um, and so I was just working, working with my horses, um, just kind of casually, um, barrel racing still. Um, but nothing, I mean, just again, I was 25, so I was still, you know, starting this new career with that. And, um, yeah, it was just immediate. I just moved back to, 
um, Southeast Texas, close to my parents. And so thankfully I was there because I called my mom. She dropped everything, came to my work, which I had my vehicle there. I could have driven over there, but at this point I'm panicking. So I call my mom. Um, she picks me up. We go over there. They, you know, tell us that. And it was just, it's kind of a whirlwind after that. Um, so they, they told me, and before we even got into the parking lot, I actually, um, the doctor at that hospital in Beaumont had researched all the hospitals around the country and who I needed to be seen by for the type of cancer I had. And thankfully it was MD Anderson, which is, was just a short two hour drive to Houston. So MD Anderson was already calling me, um, setting up appointments, getting my insurance, um, and figuring everything out. So it wasn't, I mean, like I said, within an hour of me, uh, finding out I'm already getting things scheduled. Um, I went home, my dad of course left work and he was there too. Um, my sister's, they called them and they were at my house before too long too. And, um, I just, again, it's just like a whole whirlwind. I remember my dad had just finished or was finishing treatment for cancer himself whenever I found out. And I just remember, you know, him giving me the biggest hug in our backyard and, um, just both of us crying. And he was like, you know, it's one thing to hear you have it yourself, but to hear your, your daughter has it, it's just, it was a whole nother thing for him. And, Right. Because you don't think at 25 years old, this is ever going to be something that you have to deal with. And were you, did you guys have any like genetic, I mean, is this cancer just like random or, I mean, I'm sure you kind of got that information later on, but. Yeah, it's, um, it actually has nothing to do with, you know, history of your parents or anything. Um, so that actually had, it was completely unrelated. Um, the kind I had, they, they don't really know what causes it. It's completely random. Wow. And so, well, yeah, I like an identical twin sister and she's, you know, never had this health issue. So just shows, you know, it can just happen. Wow. What a testament to making sure that you're really like staying on top of your health and taking care of things right away. Like that's such a testament to women of any age and anyone of any age. Go to your preventive care, get stuff done. If there's something abnormal and you have a bad feeling about it, take care of it because, it's you know, it's it. too risky. Exactly. Like this, I could have, who knows how long I could have gone. And, um, I caught it really early. So, um, right. That's what I was going to ask is if what was kind of like the next step. So they, they set up your appointments at MD Anderson. Um, are you, I mean, do they give you a stage or are you kind of just like figuring out as you go and you know, what, what did the treatment look like after that? What did that road look like from then on? So, um, when I got there, they, I kind of asked later on, they really didn't give me a stage when I was there. Also, they don't have a whole lot of research on the type of cancer I had, um, especially for somebody in my age group. So they really couldn't quite stage it, but they said it was probably somewhere between a one and a two, like still, so still very early. Um, but I went in, I had two different doctors. Um, and one of them, she would have been, she was the surgeon. Um, she was the one who was going to handle that whenever it got to that point. And the other was the one that course out my treatment. Um, and he was sarcoma specific. So like I said, the type of cancer I had was embryonal rhabdomyosarcoma. Um, so long story short, soft tissue sarcoma. And, um, you know, he mapped all that out for me. Um, so it was just a lot of being diagnosed, having all the doctors just doing an exam, doing a whole lot of blood work. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, oh, and then at my first appointment um, with those doctors, I was also told that 
you know, this is going to cause, in my case, I was going to have to have a hysterectomy. So I was given the choice to, um, you know, freeze my eggs. So preserve my fertility so that whenever I am ready to have kids, I will be able to have them through a surrogate, which will be my twin sister. Oh my gosh. Wow. That just gave me the chills. Um, so that being said, you know, you're going to go through treatment here. They're going to do a hysterectomy at 25 years old. I couldn't even imagine being given that news. I mean, I, I know being a mom and having kids isn't everyone's dream, but for a lot of us women, that's such a big dream and something that, you know, we, we never think we, a lot of us take it for granted. We think like, Oh, I'm going to be able to do this. And so given that news, um, and having that opportunity to freeze your eggs, how did that experience inspire um, you to to create this organization? Because I know that's kind of what sparked everything, and I can't wait to hear like your journey through doing that, and then how you got to Kate's cause. So, um, you know, having that diagnosis and being told that I'm going to have that, I was 25 years old, single, I have no kids. Um, like, of course, I wanted to be a mom, like just not right then. Um, so. I, I, it hit me really hard and they told me, you know, this isn't covered by your insurance. It is elective if you want to have this done. And I was like, before I could even say anything, like I knew I didn't have the money to do that. Um, my mom and dad were like, no, it's taken care of. Like, you're going to be able to do this. And so that just took a huge weight off of my shoulder. I had a lot of help, um, in that. And, um, so I was able to do it with no problems, but you have to decide right then if you're going to be able to do it because they have to move forward with starting your treatment and this, you know, you don't want to prolong it any more than you have to. So I, um, you know, it, at, at the time I didn't really think much of, I mean, I, I thought a lot of it, it was a lot, um, to take in and just to know that I was going to have to have that done. Um, so that's devastating in itself. But once I started to learn about other young adults, um, that are going through treatment, even if they don't have to have the hysterectomy um, and such, any kind of chemo or radiation can cause the loss of fertility. So I just started looking into it, starting reaching out to other cancer groups and um, people my age and learned that a lot of women just don't do it because they don't have the funds right then and there to go through with that. And I just felt extremely blessed that like it wasn't even a second thought for me because I, I had the help. And um, you know, even as an adult, my parents were still there and my coworkers were still there. My friends were still there. I still had that support system um, that other people don't have. And I just feel extremely blessed that I had it. And I wanted to be able to offer that to somebody else. So obviously that sparked your, you know, want to give back and do all that. Were you still in treatment while you're thinking about this or was it kind of like post, you know, after you were recovered? Um, you know, what, what, what is the timeline for that? Were you kind of already thinking about that before you were even in remission? Yeah, I was definitely thinking about it. And, you know, I talked to friends and like, and family and trying to figure out how, like, it was just like this huge idea. Um, at that time, whenever I was going through treatment and I really, um, I didn't know what, how I was going to do it, um, what I was going to name the organization, um, or anything like that. So it was afterwards that I, um, that I began Kate's cause. So what goes into creating like a, it's a nonprofit, right? I kind of just like assumed to call it that, (laughs) but, um, so what goes into creating something like this? Cause I know that there's so many people out there that kind of want to like give back or do something like this, but, um, kind of for our listeners that want to create something like this, what was that process like? Where do you even start? I mean, are you just Googling like how to create a nonprofit? (laughs) Yeah. So it probably took me a lot longer than it needed to, because I had no idea. 
um, any of this. So what you have to do is, um, thankfully, I have an accountant friend who, you know, gave me a little bit of guidelines and um, I, um, you know, just had to come up, apply through, um, I don't know, the federal, I guess, and get my tax ID number. That was the first step. And then I had to apply to become a 501c3 organization. Um, and yeah, I, it was just filling out forms online um, and, and Googling what exactly it was that I needed to do, setting up the bank account separate. Um, and that's that's how I did it. Then I started my website where I linked a way to donate. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's nothing really interesting. It's just a lot of um, filling out paperwork and getting it started and then getting your name out there. Right. A lot of trial and error and just Googling everything. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. Well, what is your favorite thing? I mean, what, so hold on, cut that. So what year did you start this organization? Um, it was, I started it in January of 2020. Was wow. The, what a time. I know. And it really, again, it was just super slow moving um, because of that. Like I had the idea, you know, I was diagnosed in 2018 through 2019. I was kind of figuring out what it was that I needed to do and how to do it. Coming up with the, you know, the money myself to pay for getting it started. Cause you, I mean, you have to pay for all of those. Um, yeah. It's all out of pocket. You can't just like create some money to start up all the stuff. Yes. And so, you know, just doing that. So it was very slow moving. And then we had COVID. So it was, it's just been a lot of um, slowly things happening. Um, but I'm happy to say, you know, we're here where we are now and it's, it's all working out and going really well. I love it. So what's your favorite thing about running Kate's Cause? What's like your, the, the thing that gives you the most joy about it? Um, I think that spreading the awareness, because most people don't know that this is an issue. Um, I mean, you don't think about getting cancer at 25. Let's be honest, like as a young adult, you don't think about that. So being aware of that and then being aware of this that can happen um, as a side, like a direct side effect from it. Um, and just knowing that it, it does inspire people and people just see that, um, you know, the positivity that has come out of something that was terrible you know it was it, at the moment it was life crushing and and now it's it's a thing that's kind of a memory that has just inspired me to to do more and I can I mean I can honestly say that before um and, and we talked about this right before we started recording but I found your page because someone had requested that I interviewed you on our women in western um Instagram so that's how I found you and you know you sent me some of your information after I messaged you and I've been looking on you know Kate's cause website and this is something that I didn't even think about you think about women that um you know are older that need a hysterectomy you don't think about women in their 20s before they're ready to have kids having to make these kinds of decisions <clears throat> And I can honestly say, uh, if I, you know, me in my young adult life and even me now, if I had to have any, you know, issues with my reproductive organs, I couldn't afford to do, you know, any kind of egg retrieval and, uh, freezing of eggs. So this is just something that has really touched me and inspired me and, you know, reading your stuff. I was on your website last night, looking at everything and I was talking to my mom about it. And I was getting tears in my eyes talking to her about it because I'm like, this is so impactful. What this girl's doing is so amazing. Um, I last night was on your website. Like I said, added to cart, bought a sweatshirt. Cause I'm like, I need I this sweatshirt. That. I'm so excited <laughs> to you. <laughs> I was like, I need a Kate's Cause merch. I need it. Um, so I can, I can say that, you know, you're, um, 
your nonprofit, this, I can see it going big places and I can't wait for you to just grow and grow and um, continue to help other women and just spread, like you said, awareness to this because this is amazing. Um, and then what does a day in the life look like for you as like the founder and owner? Like, I mean, are you doing stuff for this kind of like on a weekly basis? Are you kind of every day looking into stuff for this? What does it look like? Kind of, I know you're working and you're, you know, trying to get your cult started. So it's like probably a lot, but what, you know, what is your, a day in the life for you look like as, as the founder and owner of this nonprofit? A lot of times, um, I have people reach out to me, um, through social media, I try to respond to messages as soon as I can, whether it just be a little bit of support to somebody that just found out. Um, I have people who that I know that have a friend of a friend whose young daughter or, you know, somebody in the same age group or cousin or whatnot has been diagnosed. And so a lot of what I do um, through that is just helping, um, you know, just answer questions for anybody, um, trying to give them a roadmap of what to expect. Um, and things like that. I ship out merchandise. Um, as you said, you went online and you found it. And so I mail out a lot of t-shirts. I do stickers, koozies, a little bit of everything. Um, and I love that. So this that. is your, this is your, um, shout out as a listener. You need to go to, um, kate'scause.org right now and go buy some merch because <laughs> I love your logo. It's so cute. So that being said, go keep Kate really busy and go grab merch. <laughs> yeah. I love being busy with, um, with the t-shirts and merchandise and everything like that. I think it's just a fun way to, um, you know, share my, um, nonprofit, um, the logo. I love my logo. I think it's so cute. Um, and going back to how I got involved in the Western industry, that horse was, is my heart horse. She's still with us here today. She's the horse that got me through high school and college, um, and who I have my young horse out of. And, um, it, it may seem weird to have her on my logo for this because it seems separate, but man, um, going out and cleaning her stall or, uh, having a short ride on her while I was going through treatment, just kept my spirits up and it just really, it really helped get me through it. So, you know, having her on there is it's, it's, she's a part of it cause she's a part of me. So. Oh, that is so true because like us as women that, you know, are in this Western community and we have horses, especially our heart horse, like that one, if you're, People, there's so many women out there and, and people that have been through such dark times, whether that be like a diagnosis or like, you know, mental issues and things like that, where you're in such this like dark, hard place and you don't know how you're going to get out. But well, like the pens need cleaned and like the horse still needs fed. So that's like something that gets you up every day and gets you like to do something because no matter how bad, you know, things are for you personally, it's like, I still have an animal that relies on me and this animal's done so much for me. So I think it's beautiful that she's on your logo. And I love that, you know, you can have her be a part of that. Cause that's so, I love that that's like one specific horse. Yeah. She, I mean, it really was, I, I mean, and I had help. I had people that helped me feed my horses and, and take care of things, but it really just kept me, it kept me going. And, um, you know, I had people like, oh my gosh, you don't need to do it. You don't need to lift a finger. You just need to stay in bed and you need to rest. No, I needed to get out. I needed to take care of my horse. <laughs> You're like, I need, I need to. to. Yeah. I, I mean, I still went to work sometimes the day after chemo and I didn't feel great, but I was like, for me, and I know this isn't for everybody and it's not um, a dig at anybody who handles things differently for me, but that's what kept me positive was just keeping moving. Cause it was like, I either feel terrible sitting at home just being sad about it, or I feel bad and don't think about it as much because I am still moving. And it really just helped me. And my doctors really encouraged it. They said, if you feel like you can do it, do it. And I was on some pretty tough chemo. And I truly think that 
had I stayed in bed and, um, and didn't get myself moving, I think I would have felt worse. Yeah. And that's, it's one of Newton's laws and it's like, it applies to everything is things in motion, stay in motion. So like mm-hmm. keeping going, keep moving forward. That's amazing. Um, and I can't wait to hear about any upcoming like events or fundraisers that are happening soon for Kate's cause. How can we like help out as listeners and supporters? So I had, um, I kind of partnered with an event not long ago, um, had a huge outpouring of support at that event. Um, and so that has been able to help fund our first standalone event that will be on October 13. We're calling it the extravaganza. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. It's going to be in the Fort Worth Stockyards. I know everybody can't be there um, to participate in that, but, you know, just sending donations to help get that going um, are always really appreciated. Just sharing the event, um, sharing Kate's cause page really helps. Um, I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a really fun time, but we're also going to do a lot. Um, And I've partnered directly with MD Anderson, where I was treated, who has now started their own Onco Fertility Department and helping these women through Kate's cause. So it's really exciting. And just, I, I still pinch myself sometimes thinking that they, you know, this inspired them as well to, um, you know, be more proactive for that. And so, uh, yeah, I just really hope that we have a great turnout for the event. It's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to raise a lot of funds for such a good cause. Cause I mean, I just, obviously for me, it's just huge being 25 years old and saying you're, you know, taking that away from you, but being able to give it back somehow. Absolutely. And let me tell you what, if I wasn't in a wedding on October 15th and had to be in Tahoe, California, I would 100% buy a plane ticket and go to this event because it seems like so much fun. I've got tons of, you know, family and friends in the Fort Worth area and just like, you know, um, outside of Fort Worth. So all of our listeners that are in Texas, go to Kate's website, go to Kate's cause, go find this event and go purchase a ticket to go. This is going to be such an amazing thing. I can't wait to see pictures from this and see what your turnout's like October 13th at the Fort Worth Starkyards. That's going to be amazing. Um, I have like random questions too, because like you hear so much about women like going through this and going through cancer and you know, you don't, it's, there's questions that you don't want to ask because you're like, is this rude to ask? Like, is this out of line? But like, obviously your logo, you have this beautiful logo of you and obviously you're going through chemo because like all of your hair is gone. How did that make you feel not having a head of hair? Um, were you like, you know, the, the regrowth period, were you wearing wigs? Were you proud of it? Like, what was that like? Because I don't think anyone can really say how they're going to feel going through that until they're going through that. And that's like one of those questions where it's like, how is she doing with that? Um, so whenever I um, got diagnosed, um, I mean, they told me like, you're going to lose the type of chemo you're getting, you're going to lose your hair. Um, so I really mentally prepared myself for that. I, it really didn't bother me too much. Um, I have two sisters and whenever we um, found out, they went with me and we all cut our hair pretty short um, and donated all of our hair because if I would have done it after treatment, you know, the hair wouldn't have been good. I wouldn't have been able to donate it. So we did that. Um, and then I got my, I didn't have a port. I had a CBC line, so I had exposed lines, um, in my chest. But once I got, um, my first round of chemo is about 13 days after, and I started to notice the hair loss. And, um, at, like, as soon as I saw it, I tried to, I would keep my hair pulled back and it seemed to like keep it from really falling out. But at some point I was like, just shave it, just get rid of it. I didn't want to just keep watching it fall out. I just wanted it gone. So, um, 
my family and my sisters and some of my sister's friends, we all got together and went to my sister's her brand new house and they brought over some clippers and uh, we just made a morning over it. And I remember taking pictures and just smiling. I don't know why I wasn't sad that day. I know. Um, and I think I just had it in my head already. Um, I just, I prepared myself. Because I feel like the shaving like your own head before stuff gets really crazy, I feel like that's a moment of power of like, no, this is something I can do like before things get, you know, like I have control over this and I'm doing this now before it happens to me kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, and it was, they made it fun. You know, we, we had people, I was surrounded by people and we were laughing and talking about, you know, everything to keep me distracted. I'm sure put a little design in the back of it, like while it was still like enough. Right. And so we just... It was really, it was, it was empowering and just um, not feeling like it was taken away from me. I did have some wigs um, and I wore them, but by the end of the night, most of the time, that thing was gone. I was <laughs> like, this is it, we're taking it off like a bra. <laughs> uh, yes, I was just done with it. And like, I can't tell you how many times it ended up in like one of my friend's purses or something. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. Well, <laughs> so, <laughs> and with a wall cap or you know it was cold though so some of it so I wore a beanie a lot <laughs> right but. well I'm telling you what that logo with you know like your you've got the big earrings on but like you know like a freshly shaved head and I just love that picture so much on that logo so I just think it's iconic um another question I had too is you talked about a lot of the women that you're kind of giving like help to um people that can come to your nonprofit with like you know when they're going through this if women are, you know, with, with young girls, like if a girl is super young going through this, cause you said that this kind of cancer, like can be for literally young girls, usually it's not on like the uterus, but if there are super young, young girls, like I'm talking like teens, maybe even like kids, can they go through egg retrieval too? If they're going to have to get like something out like that? Or, I mean, maybe that's a medical question. I just don't know if you've talked to super young girls. Have you talked to like, you know, really young girls going through this or is it mostly in their twenties? Um, so I, I don't know as far as like how young that they decide to do that. And I don't know. Um, I mean, like, I don't know how many people know, like you're born with all the eggs you're ever going to get. So I don't know as far as how young they start where they can do the egg retrieval. That's just, I have no idea. I actually have a friend um, whose daughter was diagnosed with the same type of cancer as me, but hers was in her throat. Um I think she was nine when she was diagnosed and you know, it's a question that it's just that they don't know whenever it comes time for her to have children, what that's going to look like for her. Um, but I do think in the teen years, that is something that they, I'm sure they could do. Um, and I would encourage anybody to do it because whether they think then they don't want children, I mean, you're young, you don't know. So Exactly. It's better to just have it and, you know, not need it in the future. Um, and what an amazing thing that you can give that to someone like, hey, even if it's not something you want now, it could be something you want. We're going to help you out with this now and, you know, get you the resources to afford that. It's amazing. Um, so something that we ask like every single one of our guests that come on, and I'm really excited to hear, you know, your answer to this, but what is the biggest piece of advice or um, the best thing someone can learn from your story? Um, I think that just really knowing that you can stay positive, I think that's the biggest thing I heard. Like people say, you're still smiling, you're still living your life. Um, yeah, like it's it's still a good life to live. Like it was hard, but I was still happy. I still had people that loved me. I was still doing the things that I love and um, just being able to choose to be happy through something like that is so important. Um, and that really something beautiful can come out of a really hard time in your life. And um, I feel like I truly believe that I went through that 
because I would have never known that this was a problem had I not gone through it myself. And um, I can shed some light on that and, um, you know, help somebody else through it and kind of give them a roadmap from what I experienced and maybe to do things a little bit different than I would have, or just inspire them to, like I said, keep moving and do things that, that you get joy from because that's, what's going to get you through it and really keep your faith because I mean, I can say keeping moving is what, what got me through it, but really my faith is, is keeping that through a hard time too, is really what'll get you through things. Right. And, and it's so easy to become so angry with God in a time like that, but how amazing that you were able to see the light in it and see the positivity that could come from it and realizing that that struggle and that journey was given to you for a certain reason. That's amazing. Absolutely. Well, Kate, this has been an amazing interview. Like I am obsessed with this interview. I'm obsessed with you. I have been inspired by all of this. Um, I personally own two businesses. I'm an equine dentist and I would love to, um, coming up here soon, um, do a little fundraiser and try to do, um, you know, a portion of my proceeds for a month, um, you know, give them to Kate's cause. I would love to do that. And I also own a lash business. I'm going to talk to my business partner and see if we can do something for you guys because we, I'm so inspired by this story. So I really want to be able to help out and give back. Um, that being said, where can people find you? Where can people donate? Where can people buy this merch? Give us your Instagram website, all that fun stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, I mean, giving back. That means, more than I can explain when anybody gives anything to the organization, because it just, it means that I touched them in a way. And that's just, it, it, that means everything. And that's why I started this. Um, so my website is katescause.org. Um, and that gives my bio shows where you can get merchandise. Um, I have an Instagram it's, um, at Kate's underscore cause. Um, and you will see on everything, the logo, um, bald me and my horse and, um, also have a Facebook page as well. I love it. Yeah. Like I said, all the listeners need to go to katescause.org, go purchase some merch. Let's get Kate sold out. So she has to reorder some more stock. (laughs) And I want to see you all guys in this like beautiful logo. It's amazing. Kate, thank you so much. We are so thankful that you came on the podcast and shared your story. I can't wait to see how your event goes on October 13th. Please share some pictures with us. And thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you guys tune in next week, next Wednesday for another episode. And until then, go follow us on Instagram at Women in Western Podcast. And we'll see you guys next week.